Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's go ahead and continue in our word this morning. Uh, we've been looking at uh, some different Bible characters in a series we started a couple weeks ago called Encounters with Christ. And I really enjoyed even putting these, these messages together. Um, someone we were talking this morning and said, you know, I never even heard last week. I, I, I don't know how many times I've read the story, but never even realized or, or my brain never clicked into the Salome person. And so it's just kind of neat to find maybe some who are in Scripture, but we haven't heard about a lot. And I believe that as we look at these different Bible characters who, you know, they encounter Christ, they have these intersections, these either long-term relationship or even just a, a one-time experience that radically changes their life. I think it's important for us to see this in our own life because we have encounters with Christ. We have these moments where they intersect. I know sometimes we're busy. Maybe we're not aware of this, but then boom, you know, we have those moments where we're like, wow, Jesus is real to me. This relationship is real to me. And I think that helps us seeing others in their experiences to make our experiences deeper and more meaningful. You know, how do we apply those things to our life? And so today in Encounters with Christ, I want to look at Mary of Bethany. Say Mary of Bethany. Now, we actually touched a little bit on something that happened with her last week when we talked about Salome and the women at the tomb who brought spices. And also, uh, it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who got the body of Jesus and brought the 75 pounds of spices. And we did a comparison to the spice or the oil that Mary used. And so I really want to talk about that experience, but also I want to look at a few scriptures to get an idea of who Mary of Bethany was. If we could look in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, starting with verse 8, it says, Therefore, six days before the Passover, how many days? Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, the very first scripture verse there, it's like you can just read and, and read over that and go, oh, but a, a dude was raised from the dead, Right? Look at this, verse 2. So they made a dinner there, and Martha was serving. And Lazarus, this is the guy who got raised from the dead, was one of those reclining at the table with him. Can you imagine that? Like, stop for a minute to try to just take this in. I mean, the dude was dead. Now he's raised from the dead. Now he's chilling at a table eating and hanging out with Jesus. I just think that is like, I mean, where the people going, that's Lazarus, man. What is going on? This is like crazy, right? Look at this. Mary then took a pound of very expensive perfume of nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. I love this next, this next little uh, uh, snippet here. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So just close your eyes and imagine you're there and you're smelling this. What's, what's your favorite smell? Just imagine that. You're smelling this through the entire house. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, there's always a but in there, isn't there? Look at his response. The one who intended to, this is the one who intended to betray him. John had to let us know this. Verse 5, he says, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the proceeds given to poor people? Now, I love verse 6. John is just so gracious here. Now, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he kept the money box, he used to steal from it what was put into it. 
John needs to forgive. I think he needs to let some things go here. Come on, are you picking this up? When you read this, you got to, these are human beings with emotions, right? Therefore, Jesus said, leave her alone. I love this response. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, which they didn't even understand that, did they? Verse 8, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And then I I love this response in in the Gospel of Mark. It's recorded like this. This is the response Jesus had to uh, Judas and the disciples. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? (laughs) Come on, Jesus. She has done a good deed for me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Now look at this. Verse 9 is so cool. Truly I say to you, wherever, say wherever, wherever the gospel is preached in the entire world, say entire world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And here I am in 2023 telling the story. Isn't that so cool? It's like Jesus was right or something. Okay. (laughs) There's so many different passages, though, that we could look at. I do like this in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting with verse 38. I'm just giving you a feel for the relationship here. Uh, This is an interesting story. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So this Martha is the sister of Mary, who is also the, the sister of Lazarus. Okay, so it's this family of three. And they were friends of Jesus. So he welcomes them into her home. Look at this, verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary. Say Mary. It's Mary of Bethany, who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. There's something beautiful about this relationship that Mary had, where she wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Look at this. But Martha, say, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. I think Martha was kind of choleric. What do you think? But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Every time I read that, Bruce, I think of that Brady Bunch episode. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Okay. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. Say one thing. For Mary has chosen the good parts, which shall not be taken away from her. What was the one thing? You get an A plus for the day. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. Slow to speak, quick to listen. This is the relationship. Are you kind of getting the vibe? You kind of getting the feel? And another thing that happened is we talked about it was the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, it tells us in the Gospel of John, there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. And, you know, he lived with the sisters, Mary and, and Martha. I almost said Marcia. Mary and Martha. But it's interesting because Mary, the one who poured, later poured the perfume over the feet of Jesus, she makes a request of Jesus. I have a sick. Actually, she says this to him. She, she says, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. She didn't even say my brother. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want us to see that this was not just a family that kind of was an acquaintance with Jesus. This family knew Jesus. Jesus spent time at their home. He had relationship, but there's something about Mary. Isn't that a movie? It's not not a Bible movie, guys, so 
But there's something about Mary in her relationship with Jesus. And I'll tell you what, this is great. I know Bruce is excited about this, but every week we've been digging in the archives. We've been finding actual, literal, historical footage, yes, of interviews of these people and their testimonials. So right now, check out the screens. Let's see what Mary has to say. My sister Martha asked me, now Mary, what exactly was the purpose of that little scene you caused right there in the middle of dinner? And all I could say was, it was just something I could do. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. Meeting Jesus. I guess I just never thought he might be so personable. One who would come to our home and have dinner with our family. Laugh at our jokes. (laughs) Tell a few of his own. Sitting with him made everything else seem less important. So that night, right before Passover, we wanted to honor him for everything he'd done in our family. Looking back on that night, we knew, knowing that the whole world was against him. There could have been so much more. We could have let him know that we were unified, that we were all for him. And that was a missed opportunity. Where was I? So that night, We had him over for dinner to honor him. How exactly, how exactly do you thank someone for bringing your brother back to life? (laughs) Well, our sister Martha was in the kitchen preparing this perfect meal for him. And then there was me. What could I do? I decided to give up one of my most precious possessions. Precious things given to Jesus never really seem wasted. And I knew as soon as I did it, it was obvious. Some people weren't pleased with my choice. It wasn't planned. It was spur of the moment. It just it leapt from my heart. I let down my hair in public, which you just don't do. And I wiped his feet with it. And then I poured out an expensive perfume jar of oil to honor him. And the beautiful scent filled the whole room. Now, if I would have stayed paralyzed in fear over what my sister would think after she made this huge meal, or the anger of the onlookers, or what a disciple could say, I might never have worshipped him that way. And the beautiful scent, oh, it stayed for days and days. Sitting at his feet, none of their opinions really mattered. Jesus was pleased with me. And he stood up in my defense. So why did I do it? 
guess it was... It was all I had. And days later, Jesus would pour out everything he had for us. For me. What an experience, huh? Now, I know that that isn't legit, like, archive stuff, but I think it helps us again to get a better idea of who we're talking about each week. I want us to put flesh and bone on these characters. I want us to feel what they felt. I want us to see the emotion or feel the emotion, I should say, and the humanity of what's going on. And so, you know, Mary obviously had a close relationship with Jesus. We can see that. Her whole family did. We know that she was, who was Mary? She was the sister of Martha and also of Lazarus. She lived in this village of Bethany, which we're going to talk about a little bit. But they were friends of Jesus and the disciples, like literal friends, a, a safe haven, a place they could go. You know, and of all the people recorded in the Bible, as I was looking at this, Mary was probably the only individual who, who listened the most attentively to Jesus, like literally at his feet listening, at least recorded in what we can see. Every time that she had the opportunity to be near him when he spoke and when he taught, Mary had a heartfelt love for Jesus that when coupled with, I believe, her sister's meals and maybe, you know, just the, the companionship of Lazarus, her brother, it really made Jesus and his disciples feel at home. Does anyone have a friend like that? Do you have a place that you can go where you just feel like you're at home? It's like a home away from home. It's a beautiful feeling. And they were just friends sharing the good times and doing life together. You know, she was emotional, yet she was focused on who Jesus was and always looking for a way that she could serve him. How can I bring Jesus joy and happiness and a sense of restored energy? You ever thought of it like that? Because Jesus was one who was constantly on the go, right? Always had people pulling on him. He was burdened with either someone trying to get close to him for good intentions, but also for those who wanted to capture him because they didn't agree with him, maybe for political reasons. But yet this was a safe haven. That's the who Mary was. What was going on? What was going on in this scene in Bethany? I want to talk about a couple scenes here, her being at the feet and listening, but mainly this time where she anointed the feet of Jesus, where she decided to bring this, this bottle of perfumed oil to Jesus. What did it really mean? What was going on? And so I want to look at this today. So they're at the house. It's a celebration for a meal to honor Jesus. And when we look at the gospel of Matthew and Mark, this is interesting. It says that the meal took place. Now we know that she, you know, they, he, I should say, visited many times to the house of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But in this particular scene, the meal took place in the home of Simon. Say Simon. Now, how many know that when something's written in Scripture, at least I believe this, I believe it's inspired and it's written for a reason. Well, it doesn't just say Simon. It says Simon the leper. You ever notice this? When someone is given a title, I'll give you, for instance, Jesus had 12 disciples, right, that he called to follow him. 
And he had Simon Peter, but he also had another Simon. How many know who it was? Simon the Zealot. That's because he was zealous. He was a zealot. He was against Rome. He, he actually, I like how they did this in the show The Chosen. I, that's one reason I love The Chosen. Even if I don't agree with every bit of theology, who cares? They're showing this side of Jesus that is just so compassionate and human and real, and I absolutely love it. But has anyone seen that and, and saw like how they told the story of Simon the Zealot? It was just it was amazing because you could see he just had this hatred for what had happened to his family and to Israel in general. And so these zealots, I mean, they would literally uh, train and were, were, were planning all these insurrections to take over, overthrow the government of Rome and set Israel back up. And Jesus calls one of these guys as a disciple. Well, the reason they call him Simon the Zealot is because he was named, he was labeled. How many know we put labels on people? Jesus was really good at removing labels. And so here we see the meal took place in the home of Simon the leper, stated in Matthew and Mark. Now, in John's account, this is interesting. He says this, so they gave a dinner for him there. So whose house was the dinner at? Simon the leper. Very interesting. The word for dinner here is the Greek word dipnon, and it refers to the main meal that the Jewish people would eat for the day. So They had one big meal. They might have other meals around this time, but there was this one big meal. It was many-coursed, and it was long, say long. The reason was so family and friends could meet together and have conversation. Now, I want us to pick up on this, because if they're in the house of a leper, having this dipnon, this special long meal, it doesn't make sense, because according to Jewish law, People with this skin disease, leprosy, were not allowed to be in contact with someone who didn't. So there's something more going on here. It's like, wait, the house of Simon the leper, that goes against tradition. Jesus, but especially anyone else, we know that Jesus didn't have an issue with with leprous people or anyone, right? But it says that Jesus and a crowd was there. Why was the crowd there? Well, Bible scholars believe that Jesus more than likely healed Simon at some point. In order to, for it to line up with the law, he must have been healed. So already, we're reading this story, and if we just read right over it, we don't realize, oh, Simon the leper must no longer be a leper. So we already see in the story that there's a healing that's taking place, and they're already celebrating that he raised someone from the dead. Can you feel the excitement of this meal? I mean, if you were at the meal, imagine yourself, and you're seeing Jesus from across the room, you're just thinking, man, I mean, if you had an infirmity in your body, you'd want to get as close to Jesus as you could. And so this meal is going on at Simon, let's just say Simon now, no longer the leper, amen? So again, they're having this, this dinner, this celebration. It's a chance to celebrate the miracle that Jesus had just performed a bit earlier Uh, for Lazarus, raising him from the dead. It was before, as we can see, the Passover week was about to begin. Remember, we we talked about the other uh, two people, Simon of Cyrene and Salome. They all were part of this whole festival that was getting ready to come, you know, Passover. Isn't that neat how it just all kind of blends together, meshes together? How many times have you went, wow, it's a small world? It really is. And so they're at this meal, this, this meal, and of course, once again, Martha's doing her thing. She's serving. She's cooking up probably some of the best stuff, you know, what's my dad say, west of the Pecos or whatever, making this great dinner, enjoying it. 
However, Mary is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. There's something key here. It wasn't that she wasn't aware that work was to be done. But I love in the testimonial, she said, when I was sitting at the feet of Jesus, nothing else mattered. No matter what people thought, no matter what was going on around me, the hustle, the bustle, nothing else mattered. And then Mary spontaneously decides to anoint Jesus with this costly ointment and perfume. She had to do something. And she did what she could with all that she had. This reminds me of Salome. You know, last week we talked about Jesus had already been anointed with 75 pounds of spices, aloes, myrrh. I, I said myrrh, and Kristen was like, myrrh? Do you know how expensive myrrh is? I mean, these are expensive oils. It's a resin, okay? So, you know, this is happening, and then, then we're like, well, then why did, the, see again, read the layers. Why did these ladies bring it? Because they wanted to do what they can do. And I believe the same thing with Mary here. She had this relationship with Jesus. And so what did she do? She broke open her most prized and expensive possession. And she lavishly and extravagantly poured it. Actually, if you look at all three accounts, she poured it onto his head and his feet. So literally, like, she's making sure that none of this is wasted. She's, she's just pouring it all on Jesus. What's, what's going through the head of Jesus? Like, what's going through his mind at this point? Now, just a little history, this ointment, it was known as nard. It was from the Himalayan mountains. It was in the region between Tibet and India. Now, this was a very costly uh, ointment, very costly perfume, because it was very difficult to obtain. It actually had to be brought by camelback through this mountainous terrain, making the ointment a prized possession. And actually, if you look at this, many scholars believed that this this one possession that Mary had, it may have been Mary's total net worth in this one perfumed bottle. Now, I don't know if you do this. I just have this knack of doing this. I'll be watching, like, I'm a musician. I love musicians. I love bands. So I'll be, I'll see one on TV or see an interview, and they'll talk about maybe when it was tough and the hard days and how things got better, or there's an actor or actress, and I'll do this little thing. I'll search their name and put net worth next to it. Has anyone ever done that? It's just me. You're like, ah, oh, six million, not bad, you know? I could get through a year with six mil, you know? 600 million, wow. You can get through like five years with that, right? But think about this. Mary's complete net worth could have been wrapped up in this one possession, and she gave it freely. Jesus didn't ask her for it. She gave it freely. See, this is what grace does. See, grace, law will say you better give, and so you give because you think you got to. Grace causes you to give whether you're asked or not. There was something about the relationship here with Jesus. And then Judas actually puts a price tag on this perfume. He says it was worth 300 denarii. Now, if you put that in perspective, that's equivalent to about a year's worth of wages for a common working person in the first century. One year wages was wrapped up into this, and she gave it freely. It's interesting to note that although Judas knew the price of everything, he knew the value of nothing. I mean, in fact, the location of the party was where? Bethany. And you know that Bethany means house of the poor? So we're talking about a community who was not rich. This is a community who was struggling 
probably to even put food on their table, yet they're preparing this meal, and she brings this year's worth of wages in a bottle, and she anoints Jesus. She pours it on his head and his feet. And we know this, that Jesus had a heart for the poor, right? He cared deeply for them on a regular basis. But to Judas, this was not about serving the poor. It was about having more money in the treasury box, that box that he had access to so he could continue to embezzle for his own gain. It's sad, but it's true. And so in a real sense, Judas here in the story was extremely selfish while Mary was lavishly generous. She knew that anything that was given as a gift of worship and devotion and admiration and with sincerity to Jesus would never be wasted. To her, this wasn't wasteful. She didn't see it as like, well, there goes my net worth. Oh, there goes a year's worth of wages. No, she did it freely because of the relationship she had with Jesus. And she knew, knew this, that if you give something to Jesus in that manner, it would be received and well worth a gesture to bless him. Why? He loves me. He's gracious to me. He raised my brother from the dead. He spends time with us. When I sit at his feet, man, the things he say, they just burn in my heart. There's something about Jesus. That's the who. That's the what. But what about the when? When did this take place and why is it important? See, her actions took place during a time when women were kind of low on the totem pole. Patriarchy ran true and ran strong. And so for her to let down her hair in public, that was a big deal. It would have been regarded as indecent in mixed company. And so when Mary anointed Jesus with this precious ointment, her most prized possession, and then on top of that, let down her hair, can you imagine the gasp and the hush across the room? What is she doing? Of course, that was followed up when they finally formed some words of judgment and spewed out of their mouth, right? They had to say something. But what I love in this story is that Jesus came to her defense. Why? Jesus always comes to the defense of those who are regarded as lower than as outcast. Jesus always comes to the defense of those without a voice. We see this all through scripture. Jesus is the voice. He's the hands. He's the feet of those who maybe don't have a mark in society. Maybe they've been labeled. The fact that he's at the house of a leper, it's just, it's an amazing story to me. It shows the heart of Jesus. According to Matthew and Mark's accounts, she anointed his head with oil. Well, we know this through tradition that a king would be anointed with oil on the head and shoulders that would run down. Even the priest would be, remember that when Aaron was anointed his head and it ran down through his beard? This was a sign of a priest or a king. See, Mary saw something in Jesus that maybe others didn't. And I think it's because she took time to shh and listen. There was a relationship there. She understood. If we look at John's account, he says it was the feet that were, that were anointed and clean with the oil, followed by letting down her hair to wipe up the excess and dry his feet. What's interesting is during this time for anyone to wash or anoint someone's feet, this was left for people who were the servants. And yet Mary says, nope, I'm going to do this. Another thing about that time is a person's feet were considered the most humble part of the body. In contrast... A woman's hair was the most glorious part of her body. Even Paul says this in Romans. He says, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. That's why they would cover it up. They saw it as something magnificent, something that was glorious to a woman. So as I'm reading this again, 
on purpose looking for layers, I'm thinking, how could she anoint his head and his feet? Think about this. His head and his feet without this being a contradiction in the text. Because we're talking about the most glorious part and the most humble part. Well, I believe as we look at the next area or section of the where, it will explain where did this take place. We know this, that it was in Bethany. We know that it was at the home of Simon, the leper. We just call him Simon now. How's that sound? No more leprosy. Amen? But it was inside his home, and it was at a table. Now, I want to note how John, Matthew, and Mark all describe the place where Jesus and his friends are located in the house. I had so much fun digging through this. When Mary anoints Jesus, I want us to see this. John 12, this is what John says. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Say, at table. This is Matthew's account. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon, a, house, a, 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 woman, a, house, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Say, at table. This is what Mark says. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon, he was reclining at table. Say, at table. A woman came with an alabaster flask flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. What I want us to catch here is the phrase, at table, at table, at table. All three accounts record this language in this way. And this is why this was the most sacred place inside of the home of a Jewish person. See, the term for this sacred space in Jewish culture is known as the Mikdash Miot. Mikdash Miot. I think I actually wrote it out so you can see uh, how, it, how it, look at that, Mikdash Miot. And it actually means little sanctuary or mini temple. It brings a whole different idea of what's going on here, doesn't it? This wasn't just hanging out on family night around the dining room table. This was a sacred place. This was a sacred space. Mikdash Miat, again, is translated little sanctuary or mini temple. You think about the saying in the Western world, a man's home is his castle. How many have heard that before? Well, in the Near Eastern world, it would be more like a man's home is his little sanctuary or many temple. This is how the Jews saw this. And this table was so, so important. And inside the mini temple or the, the Mikdash Miat, it's the most sacred space where friends have these heart-to-heart connections, relationships, not just with each other, but with their God. And so I want us to pick up on what's going on here. This was a sacred time, even though they're breaking bread. I think we can get a better picture of this by a quote. I I love this quote by Brennan Manning out of a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Has anyone ever read this book? If you have not read Ragamuffin Gospel, it's an awesome read. Check it out, Brennan Manning. I read it years ago. Love it. But he, he, there's a quote in there I want to read to get a better sense of this. He said, in the Near East, to share a meal with someone is a guarantee of peace, trust, fraternity, and forgiveness. The shared table symbolizes a shared life. An Orthodox Jew saying, I would like to have dinner with you, is a metaphor that implies, I would like to enter a new friendship with you. It's different. Even today, an American Jew 
will share a donut and a cup of coffee with you. But to extend a dinner invitation is to say, come to my Mikdash Miat, the miniature sanctuary of my dining room table, where we will celebrate the most sacred and beautiful experience that life affords, friendship. This is what Zacchaeus heard when Jesus called him down from the sycamore tree. And that is why Jesus' practice of table fellowship caused hostile comment from the onset of his ministry. See, when Jesus says, hey, I want to go to dinner today, mikdash miyah, that's what I want to do at your house. He was saying more than, hey, I'm hungry. Can I get a burger and maybe some chips? He's saying, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to exchange friendship with you. Can you see the big deal? I mean, even in the Zacchaeus story, we'll, we'll, I mean, I've talked about that. Maybe we need to do that again. That was a huge deal because he was the chief of tax collectors. And this would get Jesus in trouble because Jesus wasn't just saying, let's have lunch at McDonald's. He's saying, I want to go to the, the sacred space in your home and share relationship together. Do you see this? And so with this cultural context of the, the Mikdash Miat in mind, the most appropriate place in the house to worship Jesus was right at table. This was the mini sanctuary. This was the mini temple. Think about this. This was Mary's holy of holies where she could anoint the Messiah, where she could have relationship. This is unheard of because even though the Jews had their, their mini temple, they had to actually go to temple where the spirit of God lived. That's what they felt he lived. That's why it was such a big deal when that veil was rent. Come on. That spoke volumes to those. Some might have been afraid, like, what happened? The Spirit of God left. Others went, oh, it's been rent. The veil has been torn. Why? Because God is trying to signify something. Relationship isn't just here in the temple. My spirit and presence isn't just held in one place. Temple's made with human hands. It's within you. It's relationship with you. I think Mary was catching on to something. I'll tell you again. You know why I think she was catching on to something? Because she listened. She heard him speak. And so to her, this was the Holy of Holies, where she could serve Jesus and bless him and give him all that she could give. This was a sacred space for her, act of worship to take place that not only prepared the body of Jesus for the impending burial that was just coming up just days ahead, but it also foreshadows how Jesus would serve his own disciples at the Passover meal. I think about the fact that Mary here, her posture was one of a servant in John 12. But then we flash forward to John 13, and Jesus had the same posture of a servant. The Savior of the world serving us. How did he do it? With a towel and a basin of water as he washed the disciples' feet. The most humble part of their body a king washing his feet. That gets me. That's the who. That's the what. That's the when and the where. But what about the why? Why would Mary do this? Jesus states why Mary did this. He says, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. That's in both Gospels of Matthew and Mark. You know, one of the primary expenses associated with a funeral in the first century was the need for these ointments. 
I mean, if nothing else, they wanted to try to uh, apply this in order to mask the odor. I mean, how many know when you die, the blood stops flowing, you're going to have some issues? In fact, what was the response of Martha when Jesus finally was able to get to the tomb of Lazarus? He was already in a tomb. And he said, he goes, open the tomb. She goes, oh, my gosh, it's been a few days. He is going to smell. I mean, it's the first thing she thought. They understood that the body began to decompose. But again, this, this expense was extraordinary in order to, you know, get a body ready. It wasn't just a custom or, or a ritual. It was also necessary to keep that stench down. But what happens here is Jesus recognized her act of love. He, he recognized this act of devotion and worship, and he made the connection quite clear from his perspective when he came to her defense as Judas and the other disciples were questioning and even verbally attacking Mary's lavish act of anointing the Messiah with this most valuable possession, her most prized possession. What does he say? She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, I love this, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, when a person does what one can do, with what they have out of a heart that's fully devoted to Jesus, this act of worship, guess what? Jesus always receives it. He always remembers it. You know, there may be things in your life that you've done and no one else sees it. Jesus sees it. And I know a lot of you are like, well, I don't do this to be seen. I know, but Jesus sees your act of devotion. He sees those steps of faith that you're taking in life because you feel it's the right thing to do. Jesus sees it. Jesus receives it, and Jesus honors that. This is the kind of encounter I believe that all followers of Christ should long to experience through their worship and through their giving. I want to do something for Jesus. What's First uh, John 4.19 say? We love because he first loved us. This is the beauty of it. It's not a king who's demanding. If you watch any period piece movie, play, and it has to do with kings, the king just tells you what they want. You don't argue with it or your head's coming off. I mean, it's just, if they just have a bad day, if there's literally a burn or saddle, right, that your head could come off. But see, the kingdom's different. The kingdom of God is completely different. It's a king who doesn't force himself. He doesn't force you to do anything. Why? He understands how life works. If, if you love someone and you show grace to them, they eventually will reciprocate. And when they do, it's because of a heart change. See, that's why, not judging any other ministries, but I, I, at Faith City, it's an on-purpose thing when we share the love of God with you. I don't want anyone born out of fear. Fear can last for so long. And here's the thing, fear doesn't change hearts. It might change your mind kind of just a little bit enough to make sure you're okay. But I'm telling you right now, in my own experience, love changes a heart. It literally will take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And then when you do, either what you're called to do because you just know this is what I'm called to do or you, or you just get this, this inclination, I want to do this thing. Why is that? It's because your heart's softened. You're living out of love. You're living out of grace. It's the only way to live. Can I get one amen? Come on, Jerry. Give me that hallelujah. <laughs> so we see the who. We see the when. We see the what, the where, the why. But I like to wrap up every one of these with the how. 
how might the encounter between Mary and Jesus be understood and applied to us? Because I don't believe that these stories are just here for us to read and go, that was a great story, close the book and go on with our lives. I also don't believe that we take the Bible as a rule book where I'm like, here's all the rules, here's the list, and I need to do one, two, three, four, five, and we check a list. I believe when we see these things, we, we know this, that when someone wrote Scripture, it was specifically written with an intention, right? And so there's only one true interpretation. And I think we do our best through original language to, to capture that. But I also believe that there's application. There's times where you can read scripture, and it may not even have anything to do. I think I shared this story once with you. Uh, Bishop Jamie told me this, that he knew a gentleman who was having some heart issues. He had gone to the doctor, and they said, yeah, you've got some issues with your heart. There's some stuff messed up. I don't know exactly what it was. But then he was reading a Psalm of David, and it just said this one line, my heart is fixed on you. And he stopped there, and it was almost like, like light, whatever that, and, his, and he just saw my heart is fixed, and he went, my heart is fixed. He went and told his wife, my heart is fixed. She's like, what are you talking about? He goes, I don't know. I just feel my heart is fixed. I re-. He went to the doctor, and his heart was fixed. He received healing. I mean, miracles still happen, amen? But see, that wasn't what King David was saying. Hey, John, your heart's fixed. No, no, no. His heart was fixed on the Lord, right, Yahweh. But in that moment, he took it. So in these moments when we're reading the story, I think there's some pretty blatant things we can see here. But I, there's some questions that I want us to ask ourselves today to maybe help us. How can we apply this to our own life? Number one is this. Am I willing to learn? Am I willing to learn? I've actually talked with brothers in Christ who have just told me, you know, I've, I've been here for a while, not necessarily in this church, but I, I've been doing this Jesus thing for a long time, and maybe I'm saying, man, did you ever see this or that? Like, I'm good. I'm good. I've learned enough. And that just grieves my heart. N- not like, oh, you know, I'm better than you. No, it's like, man, why would we ever stop learning? I mean, when you learn, you grow. Anything that isn't growing and is stagnant isn't healthy. And so I think it's important that we ask ourselves the question, am I willing to learn? See, this is something that Mary was willing to do. I believe she took every opportunity when Jesus spoke, when Jesus talked, whether it was in public, whether it was a private matter, she would always be listening, slow to speak, quick to listen. Why? She wanted to learn. And because of that, we can see that she had this close relationship with Jesus. So the first question we can ask is, am I willing to learn? The second question is this, am I able to think outside the box? Am I able to think Outside the box. You know what Mary thought outside the box? Do you know it wasn't normal for a woman at this time to sit at the feet of a rabbi? Because in culture, the only ones who sat at the feet of the rabbi and listened were disciples. This was common. I've heard that the disciples of rabbis, not just Jesus, they would follow them everywhere even into the public bathrooms. I know it sounds crazy, but they wanted to see every move. Man, I think I'd draw the line at the public restroom. But, but here's their heart was, I want to see every move. How does he move? How does he speak? How does he treat people? How does he interpret Torah? This is what men did because women weren't disciples. 
Yet Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Why? She's a disciple of Jesus. See, she had to think outside of the box. Because this was more than just people looking down their nose at her. Who knows what could happen? I mean, in this society, there was a lot there. This is what the law says. This is how it goes. Mary thought outside the box. She said, I don't care what's going on. What Jesus has to say has inspired me. It's changed my heart. You don't know what she's done for me and my family. I want to sit at his feet. Why? I want to learn. I want to be a disciple and a follower and a pupil of Jesus. And then she even goes as far as to let her hair down in a society where you did not do that. I don't think Mary's intention was, yeah, I'm going to show you I'm a rebel. You know, sometimes we, we put Jesus was a rebel, you know, rebel with a cause. Well, you know, I, I don't want to go that far with it. I believe that Jesus saw, whenever he saw that people were treated wrong, even if it was a law that was set by man, he would say no to that law because you're hurting people. Do you know that the original Ten Commandments was not meant to hurt? It was meant to help? The, the first few are just letting people know, listen, put God first. He knows you. Listen, you're his offspring. He knows who you are and what you're about. Get in tune with the Spirit of God. And then the rest show what it looks like to live out a life when you know who you are in your Creator. It wasn't set up to say, you better do this or else. It was to say, this is how we live life. Think about, this is a, a nation that came out of slavery 430 years. They didn't even understand really how to function in life, in society. All they knew is what the Egyptians did and what they saw the Egyptians do. And God says, I have a different way for you. But in this moment, she lets down her hair because it wasn't a rebel act. It was, I think, a spontaneous act of just worship. This is the glory. I want to give God glory. I want to anoint his feet. I want to anoint his head. I want to give him my glory, which is my hair. Isn't that beautiful? She was not afraid to hear Jesus and find ways to be close to him. So here's another question. And this is one I had to ask myself. Do I allow what others think to get in my way? Do I allow what others think to get in my way? Sometimes Jesus will be moving on your heart, and you know it's a step of faith, but you feel like, yep, this is, I'm gifted to do this, I'm called to do this, I need to do this. But there's always this thing, at least for me in the back of my head, what will people think? Do you know how many times I just feel Holy Spirit saying, I want you to go with this particular message. It's, it's a little bit outside the box. I know, but just trust me. Just go ahead and say these things. People might come up and ask questions. That's okay. I got your back. And in those moments, I go, what will people think? Because I'm human. But in those moments, I look at Jesus and his example. He gave everything and wasn't worried about what others thought. So if I'm going to be like Jesus, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, there's many times where I have to say, I don't care what others think. Now, I'm not talking about hurting people's feelings on purpose and just being, you know, a jerk about stuff. I'm saying doing what God has called you to do out of love and saying, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do this, right? Because the question is, sometimes can I just sit still and hear Jesus? Jesus, what are you saying for me to do? What is my next step? In life. So number one, am I willing to learn? Number two, am I willing to think outside the box? And number three, do I understand my relationship with Jesus? Do I really understand that? Now, let me say this. It takes a lifetime. It really does. But I think the question is, is more or less saying, are we invested in this? Are we spending time with Jesus? Are, are, are we 
uh, studying things out to see how Jesus is? Are we taking that time to be still and know that he is God? Being still and hear the voice of spirit. Because Mary understood her relationship with Jesus. You can see it by the things she did. She knew that she wouldn't be chastised. In fact, I believe she knew, I'm just doing what I'm going to do. And if anything comes up, Jesus will come to my defense. And guess what? Jesus did. It's much like King David. Do you remember when King David went into the temple and he ate the showbread? Now, if you're not familiar with this, the showbread was only reserved for the priest. Right? There's something about King David as you look at his life. He did a lot of things that were outside that realm of the law. And God never chastised him for it. That's interesting to me. Why? Because I believe that King David, just like Mary, understood her relationship with God. She understood it wasn't just all about rules and regulations and lists to check off. This was about real-life relationship. And we can even see this in her time of need. Knowing who he is, she says, help, my brother is sick. And what happened? He comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Beautiful story. So number one, am I willing to learn? Number two, am I able to think outside of the box? And number three, do I understand my relationship with Jesus? Will you stand with me? Will you just close your eyes for a moment as we bring this to a close today? I want to ask us to just examine our heart. Now, a lot of times we hear preachers say, they were like, uh-oh, but no, hear me out. I want us to examine our heart to see where we are when it comes to our willingness to learn and to grow. Where are we on that? Are we willing to learn and to grow? Check our willingness to think outside of the box, to maybe not be stuck in a box of uh, denomination, religion, politics, uh, a social thing, rather than just saying, I'm going to think outside of that. What does Jesus say? What does the kingdom say outside of this box? And I think this is a time for us to just be honest about our understanding of our relationship with Jesus. How do we see Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he someone who is always looking over your shoulder, making sure you're doing everything right? Or is Jesus walking the path with you, helping you to avoid stumbles and and falls if you sit and listen. A Savior who promised to never leave us and never forsake us. A Savior who loves us beyond what we could even imagine in our head. Like this love is so deep, there's nothing that can change it. A God who loves us so much that literally, as scriptures say, nobody can snatch us from his hand. He's got you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love and grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we are in the family, we're in your hand, and no one can take us out. I pray today that as we looked into the life of Mary of Bethany, I pray that we would have those same experiences and encounters where, Jesus, you're so good to us, and we know this because we've taken time to be slow to speak and quick to listen. We've taken time to just sit and hear your voice. And as we see who you are and how you operate, how you function, how you love others, how you share grace and healing and goodness with others, I pray that we then would want to follow that same example, that we look for every opportunity, even opportunities where we have 
Let me say, ladies, we have the right to be angry. We have the right to maybe lash out. We choose instead to forgive and let go and show those people love. Maybe remove ourselves from a toxic relationship, but as we do, not harboring unforgiveness and bitterness, but saying there's a better way to live. Because Jesus, we know that you love us, that you have our back, and that you will defend us in every situation with that same love and grace that you showed Mary. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, I receive your grace. I receive your love. Heavenly Father, I hear your voice. Holy Spirit, today I make a decision to find more time to set aside, to be quiet and listen, to hear your voice. I want an encounter like Mary of Bethany where you're so good to me that all I can do is give all that I can give. Not because you force it, but because you love me. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Isn't God good? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.